0: for leading us in worship. We really appreciate it and we're going to let them know that by clapping our hands or <laughs> yelling or screaming or hooty-hooing or whatever you do when you celebrate people. Uh, years ago, the strobe lights reminded me. I don't Were they actually strobe lights? I was at an event and I'm having dinner. the The band that's doing the event walks in. I knew they were the band because bands have a look. And I asked where their sound guy was. They said, he's making sure that our uh, stage music is just right. And I said to them, are we having worship tonight or WrestleMania? So, uh, I have opinions. (laughs) I'm going to read to you a list of names. They have a couple of things in common. Thing number one is that none of us know who they are. And we can work through what thing number two is. Uh, The first name is Olga Markova. Rosa Mota, Leanne Winter, Walter Young, Joe Smith, Jeff Smith, Greg Meyer, Sarah May Berman, Desiree Linden, Lawrence Chirono, you don't know them. In 1992 and 1993, Olga won the Boston Marathon. Rosa won it in 87, 88, and 90. In 75, Leanne Winter won the Ladies uh, Open. Walter Young won in 1937, Joe Smith won in 1942, Jeff won in 84 and 85, Greg Meyer won in 1983, Sarah May, she won in three times, 69, 70, and 71, a triple threat, sings and dances and all the such, Desiree Linden won in 2018, and Lawrence won in 2019, When we get to the scriptures and we begin to read through, there are numerous examples of sports that Paul uses in 2 Timothy. He says that they fought the good fight using a boxing illustration. For you pugilists in the room. In Ephesians 6, he uses a wrestling illustration. That we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities. But the regular sports illustration that Paul uses more than any other He did not have football, so he had to lean into other things. Is the sport of running. And as he talks about running, he's talking about the Christian life. It is the recurring sports illustration of the New Testament. That we run a race, that we are running after the Lord. That we've not reached a goal or we've not been made perfect. So if you're in your Bibles, I would love for you to join me in the book of Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal or I am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it But one thing I do, forgetting what what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, Paul says, brothers and sisters. And pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they're focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there. Our Lord Jesus Christ... He will transform the body of our human condition, of our humble condition, into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. I'm going to give you uh, just three uh, word pairings to help you take a few grips of this text. The first is in verses 12 through 16, we see what it means to press on. If you're a, write- a note taker, that's a great thing to write down. If you're not a note taker. Just take a picture of the person's notes who's sitting beside you. Uh, 17 through 19, we see to watch out. And in 20 through 21, we see to wait for. One more time. We see to press on in 12 through 16. We see to watch out in 17 through 19. And in 20 and 21, we see to wait for. Paul gives us these illustrations. When he's, and he's talking to us about what it means for us to be people who run a race, who keep in mind that God has called us to this race, not that I've reached the goal or I'm all or I am already perfected. And Paul is saying to us in verse 12 as we consider what it means to press on, I'm not yet there. What a weird concept. Uh, That we would grow up in a world where we are considering what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know Jesus, what it means to love Jesus, and for us to see when we come into faith relationship with Jesus, we are not fully there. We have not arrived. The recurring uh, phrase that's used to describe this concept is that we are there, but we're not yet there. That we've been converted to a relationship with Christ, that God has done a work to save us through the shed blood of Jesus. But we're not yet there. We are not in our heavenly state. We are not in our or our glorified bodies. We are not yet there. That we're still dealing with all the struggles and all the hardships of this life. That we're working through all of those things. Paul is dealing as he walks through this, this message with this church. Pointing out to them something that is happening for them. I don't want us to overlook the impact that it could have for us. In the church that Paul writes to at Philippi, there are some Jewish Christians. And as I mentioned last week, they're saying to this believing body at Philippi, made up of a hodgepodge, very much like this room this morning, that these Jewish Christians are saying that you have to follow the rules and follow the regulations that they set out before you to really be right before God. And they're saying things like, if you have been circumcised like us, then you've reached spiritual perfection. You'll really know what's really real when you follow through with your faith in the real way that we've established. And Paul is taking that apart. Now let's walk away from the actual act to what they're saying. These Jewish Christians who are part of this church are saying, if you do faith like us, you're a follower of Jesus. If you walk like us, if you talk like us, if you act like us, then you've figured everything out. If you do these things, you're perfect in the sight of God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. And then no again. Perfection does not come by what you do. Perfection comes through what God has done for us in Jesus. That's why we come to a phrase like that we are there, but we're not yet there. That God has fully saved you, and there's never going to be a point where you are unsaved. If you have a faith relationship with Jesus, God has washed away your sins. He has taken care of all of the sin, all of the stain, all of the shame that comes with that. But in this life, you are still going to struggle. You're still going to walk through difficulty. You're going to struggle with hardship. Paul is pointing out in this text, he's letting us know as believers, perfection comes in the person of Jesus. And therefore, he says to us in this passage, when we read Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've reached a goal or, I'm already made, or that I've already been made perfect, but my, I make an effort to take hold of it because he has taken hold of me. That's, that's not a running phrase. That's military terminology. That's strategic terminology. That you're there, but you're not yet there. Maybe you've been to Disney. I've been to Disney. Uh, In the year of our Lord, 2014, I was in Orlando, hoping I had gone on a trip. We went to Disney World to meet a friend of hers who worked there. We were going to have dinner with this person. We did not have tickets into uh, Mickey's World and that's not—that's what I call it personal we didn't have tickets in but we rode the monorail and, and we went and we ate at the Polynesian I even ate some Dole Whip outside of the Polynesian I was there but I wasn't yet there a few years later we took the children we only had two of the kids at the time we had our oldest two the other, two ta- the other one time that I've been um, uh, when we took the older boys Hope was pregnant with Noli so we tell her that she's been uh, and <laughs> When I went to do a wedding years later, it was just hoping myself, but she was pregnant with Alder, so we tell him that he's been, so we're done. (laughs) Covered. Every base. When we went with the boys, we rolled into Orlando. We've been driving for hours from the city of Chattanooga. And as we drive toward Disney, every time we stop at a gas station, they think we're there. Like when you go anywhere with children. We get to Orlando, they begin to see signs of Mickey and Minnie and Harry Potter, who's a completely different park. They think we're there. We eventually get on the property and they think we're there. What if I took my kids to Disney World and we checked into the All-Star Hotel because that's where you stay when you're on a budget. But we never experienced the fullness of the park. We were there, but we're not really there if we are going to limit being a faithful follower of Jesus to simple conversion that's what we're saying the god of the bible says to you when you come to know me of course you're there but in this life there's so much more of me to experience paul is using this military terminology he's saying i'm going to pursue what has overtaken me i'm going to pursue what has taken hold of me I'm going to take hold of this thing that has grabbed on to me. We know what that's like. That God would be working in us before we ever realize that he's working. That God would be doing God things when we were doing us things. But God, using small glimpses, simple reflections of himself, to draw us to him, pursuing what's overtaken us, it is fun to go to Disney World. But I want you to know, right, before I, far before I ever planned to take any of my children there, Disney was coming for us. And they're coming for your children. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Your children may not have been to Disney, but they know the words to let it go. They know about Moana. You're welcome. They know everything. They know the TV shows. They know the toys. They know the songs. They know the movies. They are coming after you before you ever seek them out. This passage is pointing us to the idea of who God is. And it's reminding us that even in our salvation, God is pursuing us before we ever seek Him out. That's kind of what it means to be dead in your sin. For him to come and show life to where there is nothing but death. The notion that we pursue what has overtaken us is contradictory to the majority of Because we move from one thing to the next. We get this thing, then we're to the next thing, and then we're to the next thing. And we never stop to consider the thing that we just experienced. I'm saved and and that's enough and I'll figure out what is best for me but thank you very much. It's really sincere that we would even say that. Like I've got a personal relationship with Jesus and I shouldn't have to consider anybody else who has a personal relationship with Jesus. I've got me figured out. You do, you boo, everything's okay. They're really sincere. What we miss sometimes when we're considering and evaluating the sincerity of people is this, that you can be sincere and still be wrong. I can be sincere and be wrong. Friends, your relationship with God, yeah, of course it's personal. Hear me say that because the scriptures take us there. But it's not a private thing, it's not an alone thing. You're part of a bigger body, a larger concept. A.W. Tozer says this. He's my favorite member of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I don't know if you have favorite members of denominations, I do. He said, we've been snared in the coils of a spurious logic which insists that if you have found him, we need no more seek him. This is set before us as the last word in orthodoxy. And it is taken for granted that no Bible-taught Christian ever believed otherwise. It's faulty. Paul says this in verse 13. Brothers, I did not consider that I have made it my own. That should scare me. And that should scare you. Because if anybody had made things his own, it was Paul. I shared with our friends last week, if you were here, that Paul was really good at being good, in the words of Sally Lloyd-Jones. Paul was everything that a Hebrew man should be. He was the elite. He was a Pharisee. He was circumcised on the right day. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. He was zealous. He persecuted the church, which was kind of a big deal. If you were not a member of the church... Like real persecution. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But that didn't matter to him. But then it keeps going. He goes even further. Because when he says this idea, I did not consider that I've made it my own. It goes beyond his status of being a non-convert to Christianity to when he becomes a follower of Jesus. Think about what Paul did. Before he wrote the letter to the Philippians, he had already written the letter of 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, and 1 Corinthians. He will go on to write a large bulk of the New Testament. Friends, when we're talking about Christianity and the idea of arriving, if Paul has not arrived, no one has. If Paul's not perfect, none of you are. None of I am. That's probably not good grammar, but we'll go with it. When we begin to do comparison, Paul is grandmother's homemade cookies straight from the oven, and you and I are the bootleg Sam's Choice slice and bake cookies that Uncle Ned shows up with at Christmas. We know what this is. What is Paul saying to us? As you walk through this text, as we consider what it means for us to be people who know God, when Paul would say in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, he is pointing out to us that we should not care if we miss Jesus, that we should not care about anything else in relation to spirituality, in relation to our Christian walk. If we miss Jesus, we can have every I dotted, every T crossed, every right answer, and we can still miss the, the nature of Jesus. We can have Christi- Christian ideology. We can have a Christian culture, a Christian worldview, and we can miss Jesus. We can have systems and structures and we can miss Jesus. We can miss what it means to live in the depth and truth of who Jesus Christ actually is. We can have every right answer. We can know what every Bible flower like tulip and geranium mean. We can know all of this and still miss the person of Jesus. We can have highly and heavily emotional experiences and still miss Jesus and if we miss Jesus we miss everything he is central to the teaching of Christianity he is the center of the teaching of Christianity he is the goal of Christianity Jesus is everything for us and why should we really care if we miss that but I've got it figured out how I'm going to do this, and I've got it figured out how I'm going to do that. Are you missing Jesus? In your attempt to strategically structure your life around a system, are you missing a Savior? This should scare us. Well, what's Paul telling us? He's letting us know that we should only treasure what is actually treasure. He is the treasure. And, and he's a preacher, and he actually says this in verse 13. And preachers, were notorious for doing this. He says, one thing I'm going to tell you, and then he tells you a bunch of things. Like, I gave you three points, but I've also given you 47 others. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. One thing I do, I forget what's behind, I press forward to what is ahead. Paul is saying, I'm not going to let my past achievements or my Christian failures prevent my gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. One, one commentator describes Paul this way. He says, as Paul runs his Christian race, he forgets as he runs. Leaning and straining and pressing on. Yesterday, I was out of town conveniently because my kids went and ran a race. I'm not really built for races, um, like the Amazing Race, when it used to come on television. I, they ran a race, and they ran like a 5K, and some of them ran a 1K. There's a lot of Ks involved, and it was like they were striking people out. Baseball. I have a, a picture of my son Charlie to show you. Like, Charlie ran a 5K, and he, he ran it pretty quickly, if I'm not mistaken. But you can see there, as he's getting close to the finish line, he's leaning in, straining forward. He's not leaning backward. You'd be a really goofy-looking runner if you did that. He's pushing towards something. Paul's saying this about what it means for him to be in Christ Jesus. I forget everything that's happened before, everything that's behind me, and I keep going. Charlie told me later that he, while he was running, there, came, there were points in the run where he was cramping. But he kept pushing forward. More than likely, he was hungry because my children are always hungry he's pushing forward possibly dehydrated because they always forget to drink water until bedtime and then everybody just drink gallons but he's pushing forward all that's behind me I've forgotten and I'm going forward Paul is using this language about your walk with Jesus straining towards what lies ahead forgetting as you run how many of us have forgotten what's behind us How many of us are keeping moving forward? How many of us are being defined by our failures? Defined by our mistakes? Defined by things in us where we did things that we regret? Running forward. Pushing on. Forget your failures and forget your shortcomings. And you live in the present light of the future. We live with the future in mind. So if we're asking hard questions of you this morning, or what if I were to ask this? Is there one small change that you need to make to pursue what matters the most in your Christian race? Is there a little thing that needs to be done, a strategic adjustment to the way that you see the world that would help you to run the race more like Jesus? It could be a negative thing, like what we see in Hebrews chapter 12, where he says to throw off the things that hinder and entangle us. Maybe it's a positive thing. Maybe you need to remember to carbo-load like Michael Scott. Maybe you need to make sure that you're lining things up so that you can prepare yourself to move forward. I press on, he says in verse 14. I pursue the goal of the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You can't run leaning backwards, lean into this. He says this in verse 15. So let those of you who are mature, I want you to think this way. And if anything, you you think otherwise, God's going to reveal that to you. He's pointing out to this church what's taking place. If you're mature, I want you to keep in mind what it means to move forward. But there were some enemies of the church in their midst. There are really obvious enemies of the church. The devil, Pharisees, Crimson Tide fans. That's a joke. Maybe they're not bad guys, they're just everywhere. But then there are some who are not so obvious. The idea of perfection. Perfectionism and making sure that we have done things right and we do things better than everyone else, that creeps in. Paul calls the perfectionists, those who believe that they are right and that you have to do everything the way that they do, he calls them dogs. And not in the good way you call someone dogs. Like, what up, dog? <laughs> this isn't Fido or Rover. This isn't even letting, asking who let the dogs out like it's 2004. This term dog means filthy, unclean. Dogs stole from them. And Paul is saying that if you are one who believes that your perfectionism is your salvation and not Jesus, then you're stealing from the very people you have conversations with. And you're robbing God of His glory. Glory may not be a word that you use a lot. It's just kind of a church word for whatever reason. But, but it means you're robbing God of telling Him that He's a big deal if you're saying your perfect behavior is what saves Paul says, if you think your behavior is good enough apart from Jesus, you're a filthy thief. And you need to repent. What if we realize what it really means to turn away from our belief in our perfect behavior? Knowing Christ doesn't cancel out human action; it raises our actions to the highest power. Knowing Jesus means that we can live in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. That says He's a big deal. If we refrain from doing that and place attention and affection and shed light on ourselves rather than Jesus, then we've missed it. As Christ grows in, as Christ grows, you he's, you're going to grow accordingly. Paul lets us know that we should hold fast to really things that really matter. Hold fast to what's going to hold you firm. You see that in verse 16? Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Well, What is that thing that we've attained? Don't add to this, this mark of a perfected person is not to think of oneself as perfect, but to realize that he still has a long way to go and much good still to do. The mark of Christian life is that we realize that we are not there yet even though Christ has fully saved us. And that there are things for us to do, and there are things for us to learn, and there are people for us to care for. Paul's pointing out for us to consider what has given previous success to our walk with the Lord. It's so interesting when you begin to have conversations with, with people who've been around Christianity for a long time. They'll look back at parts of their Christian walk where things were the, most, the sweetest, Maybe you've got a sweetest moment that you can look back and consider. When they walked away from that thing, they got busy or they had practice or they had to bake bread or they got busy working and they couldn't rework their schedule. But they never returned to that thing. What Paul's pointing out to us is there are things for us to hold true to that we've attained. It's very interesting when we consider the idea of Christianity that when God says to us if you spend time in my word you'll look more like me that when we actually do that it happens. <laughs> Shock and awe. But we get away from that and we're kind of shocked that it's still not happening. Verse 17 through 19, he continues his dissertation on those who are uh, the, the false teachers among them. He says this, brothers join in imitating me. You've got these people telling you to be like them and I'm going to tell you to be like me. Brothers, continue in, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Paul says, watch me. Friends, how many of us are so dedicated to our Christian walk that we would tell a non-believer, could you just watch me? I'm not perfect, but just watch me. How many of us are living in a way that watching us would be valuable to another believer? Watch me when I'm looking, but watch me when I'm not. Watch me when things are going well, but watch me when things are terrible. Watch me when I win and watch me when I lose. Watch me all of the time. Paul is in the worst situation and the worst scenario. And he's saying to the church at Philippi, watch me. You're not in a Philippian are in a Roman prison, friends? Are you telling people to watch you? Are you are you trusting in the Lord enough to even ask people to do so? For many of us, he says, "I've often." This is another translation reads this way: "For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the Christ of the cross." Are these people Christians or not? Well, I'm not sure. But what I am sure of is that nothing about their walk, the people that Paul deals with in verse 18, nothing about that says they're Christians. How hopeless would it be for those of us who claim to have faith in the name and the, and the hope of Jesus to not live in a way that says that's our hope? I've warned you over and over, Paul points out, the cross is the lens through which we see everything. And these enemies, they are viewing eternity for whatever reason, through a completely different end lens. He tells us about their end as we're watching out for them. Their their end is their destruction. Nothing good is coming from the way they walk. Their God is their belly. They walk, this walk, they are walking out. They're going to be empty again. Again, this is Paul talking about people who are trying to make Christian converts obey rules and regulations from Old Testament teaching. Trying to make people, trying to add to who Jesus actually is. It says that their glory and their shame, they are so caught up in themselves... That, they're, that they are bringing light to their fallen nature. And they see the cross in a sense as foolishness we see in 1 Corinthians 1.18. I used to love Coke and Mountain Dew. And then I turned 35 and I started to drink Diet Coke and Coke Zero and Diet Mountain Dew. I don't drink those things anymore. I gave them up in September of 2020 for the pandemic. That's not true. I just stopped drinking them. But what helped me stop drinking those things was carbonated water. And I know that that's a super weird thing to bring up on a Sunday morning because it's such a contentious point on church. How we view sparkling water. It's a divisive thing. Some people love sparkling water. Anybody love sparkling water? Okay, like LaCroix, that's trash, don't drink that. But there are other brands that are really good. Spindrift is my favorite. And some people don't like them. Some people are disgusted by this. For others, it's the very thing that gets them through. Paul is pointing out to this church, he's pointing out what it means to be a member of the Philippian church, that there are some who look at the full work of Jesus and for whatever reason, they're so caught up in themselves, they're disgusted by that. But for those who are really pursuing Jesus, that's the very thing that gets them through the hardships of this world. Seeking Jesus. Seeking Jesus together. Watch out for anything that sells Jesus short. Because anything that takes away from Christ as our hope is hopeless. So what are we doing now that we have, we're watching out? Well, we're going to wait for... You see that in verse 20 and 21. It says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform... The body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now before we get all heaven is for real, I want us to point a few things out. When you look into what's taking place in this letter to the Philippians from Paul in a Roman prison, he's dealing with people who are surrounded by Philippian soldiers. And these Philippian soldiers are citizens of Rome. So Paul's using language that the people would be familiar with. And if you are a Roman soldier in Philippi, the last thing the king would want you to do was to return back to Rome. He wanted you to stay there. He wanted you to represent him while you were in Philippi. He wanted you to set up shop there, have family there. He wanted that to be who you were and where you were. He wanted you, in a sense, to be an embassy of Rome right there in Philippi. Their duty was to roam where they were citizens in light of where they happened to be, which is Philippi. Paul uses this language intentionally to talk to the church at Philippi to say to them, Hey, you know how you are citizens of heaven? Worry about living as if heaven is something you have experienced through the, through the resurrection of Jesus exactly where you are. Live as if you have experienced the hope-filled salvation of Jesus right where you are. Live like this matters right where you are. We get so caught up in, I can't wait until this is over. I can't wait to get through this. I can't wait to get to the other side. I can't wait to get to heaven. And there is some promise in that, and let's not short sell that. But God is saying to us, live as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus exactly where you are. Live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven when you're at El Toro. Live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven when you're walking through whatever you walk through at Dow. I've never been inside. I don't have a badge. I've asked for one. No one will give me one. Live as a citizen of heaven when you're at the baseball field. Live as a citizen of heaven who has a distinct direction for your life that comes from Jesus right where you are. 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is what Paul has in mind. This church is God's representation here, the representation of heavenly interaction here. So there's rebellion that might take place in these small provinces. And if that rebellion happens, it's going to leave you helpless. That's kind of what Caesar had in mind. When rebellion happens, it overthrows your, your embassy citizenship. You trust that Caesar's coming in for the, to the rescue because Caesar is Lord. You trust that Caesar's going to get you through because Caesar is the one who feeds you, who provides for you, who protects you. You trust that Caesar's coming in to wipe out the enemies. Paul uses that to say when things are hard you trust that Jesus has not forsaken you. When things are difficult you trust that Christ is still for you. And if he is for you then nobody can be against you. We don't lose sight that when this world has deemed us helpless that's exactly where God would have us to be because that means we're actually relying on him. This is what it means to be kingdom citizens in this world. That's why in our church services each week we go through the Lord's Prayer and consider what it means for us to be citizens of heaven in this world. Representing the kingdom of Jesus in this world. Embassies of Christ here. Declaring Jesus' hope and reign here. This isn't about you getting to the other side. Though no, That's just... a a beautiful byproduct of it. It's us living as God's people in this world. So that those who do not know Christ would experience him. The power of his resurrection lived out by people. Who are not perfect. But are leaning in to Jesus as they run. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father we thank you for today and we thank you that your word is true and is powerful and Lord we do thank you for the promise of heaven but let us not miss the promise of you in the here and now let us not overlook what it means to be your kingdom here let us not forget what it means for your will to be done here so Lord as we sing to you I pray that we will celebrate you fully here And that this singing together corporately would send us into our community with a passion for you, Jesus. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.